Hey, everybody. Good evening. Welcome uh, to what we've affectionately dubbed Talking Back, uh, how to help our children communicate emotions. Uh, my name is Dave Burden, and I'm a pastor at a church called Midtown Fellowship that has a congregation that meets in this space on Sunday mornings at Creep Hall Elementary. So I really want to thank Creep Hall Elementary, not only for hosting us on Sundays, but allowing us to host this uh, this evening in conjunction with Daystar Counseling. Um, but more importantly uh, than me being a pastor, which is not that important uh, compared to what we're here to do tonight, uh, I'm a father of four. And uh, I have a high schooler. My wife and I have a high schooler. We have a middle schooler, we have an elementary schooler, and we have a preschooler. So we're doing great. Um, actually, if you could see, yeah, I probably should be walking around with a sticker on my head that just constantly says help, right? Uh, and uh, I think throwing this uh, conference, us hosting this, really was uh, an acknowledgement that I know for my wife and I, we feel that way all the time, help. Um, we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to navigate emotions. We're doing this for the first time. Uh, we did it with an elementary schooler, but this is a high schooler, and they're a different kid than the middle schooler, and what do we what do? We do? So uh, hoping if you feel in that boat, uh, maybe a little overwhelmed and under-equipped, uh, that's why we thought this would be great for the community uh, to host this. And so we've invited uh, Don Logan and Amy Jacobs, uh, who are two counselors at Daystar, uh, which is a counseling group in Berry Hill. If you've ever seen the yellow house that seems like it never ends. It just kind of keeps getting added on. Has anybody ever driven past that? Yeah, that's where all the music studios are. Uh, tune, music studios are tuning guitars and they're tuning hearts uh, in that space. Uh, but we are really privileged uh, to have them come help us tonight. Equip us tonight, um, give us some tools, uh, hopefully, uh, to navigate the emotional landscape of our own lives and our children's lives. Um, and so we're really privileged and grateful for you guys to come. So uh, without further ado, uh, Don Logan, Amy Jacobs from Daystar Counseling. Thank you all. Uh, it's a blessing to be here. And, and Amy and I have I've spoken before together, and we're, we're a lot of brother and sister. So if she hits me at some point, I'll ask for help on that. So, yeah, she picks on me. Um, so... I'm, she will start, but I just wanted y'all to know that it is such a joy to be here. So, so I, do, I think we're going to save a little few minutes at the end for some Q&A. So if you have anything, be thinking, because uh, we may say something confusing, and we'll try to come back to it, okay? Totally. So. Um, and we really appreciate the grace as we transition our slides tonight. And Janie will hear me say her name if I'm like, Janie, it's time. Move it forward. Um, we're so glad to be here. Um, we're going to start at the top, Janie, um, if you'll roll to slide number two, and then we'll find our ribbon together. Um, if I say to you, how are you tonight, what is the knee-jerk reaction that we have all the time? Fine. Good. I'm fine. It was, how was your day? Fine. How, how was dinner? It was fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. You're fine. We're fine. Everybody's fine. And our colleague, David Thomas, says, Janie, this is my signal. I don't know if it happens that way, but this is, can this be our signal? Okay, perfect. So I'm testing you. <laughs> you got it, Janie? Um, fine. Our, our colleague, David, says fine means feelings in need of expression. And that often there is a ton of stuff under that fine, especially if you, I don't know if you have, Adolescents at home, I don't know. I think little kids are quicker to tell us how they are. But once you hit a certain middle school age, I don't know if you have a daughter, but it seems like they can become really fine really fast and they don't want to tell you anything else about themselves. So um, there's a study, this empirical study that happened in Germany where they were looking at children. How, how do they develop language for how they feel? What What's the process? When does it start? And around two years of age, that's when kids start to be able, once they're talking, to say happy, sad, whatever, once their language starts developing. And between the ages of 4 and 11, every year, those, those words kind of double. And um, 
So the study, three to five-year-olds, the most commonly used words were sad, happy, and scared. Makes sense. Six to seven-year-olds, sad, happy, furious. I love that. Get fired up. And then eight to nine, sad, happy, angry, afraid. And then again, the, the top three words were sad, happy, and mad by the time they're 11 years old. So I thought that's really interesting that those, that's what we grab onto. Well, Brene Brown recently wrote a book called Atlas of the Heart. And in that book, she, um, she and her team surveyed 7,000 adults and asked them to identify the emotions that they connect with. And the three emotions that they could get to were happy, sad, and angry. So that's what we know, that we're either happy about it, sad about it, or really, really mad about it. And I kind of think, I feel this as a therapist who talks about feelings or listens about feelings all day long. Sometimes I'm like, what do I, I don't know what I feel about this. Like, what do I feel? I, I feel something, it feels big, but I'm not sure how to, how to label it. So um, I, we love Mr. Rogers at Daystar. We, we, we really love him. I love him as a child of the 70s. And um, whatever is mentionable is manageable. But if kids can't get to the thing, can't give you the word for it, then you're not going to really talk about it on a level that could affect more change in their lives. So um, I had um, a client who lost her mom, a fourth grade girl, a year and a half ago. And she knew this was coming. It was a cancer diagnosis. It was really tough. And her dad brought her in about six months after her mom had passed away. And he looked at me, he said, she has never acted like this before. She is like, she's always been like this kind of responsible, roll with it kid who didn't really give her parents any troubles, really spunky, but not troublesome. And I just said, she's never been this sad before. And it's all coming out sideways because there's no way to articulate. There aren't enough words to capture how sad she is right now. So I think that gives us this, this drive at work sometimes to be like, well, let's figure out what you actually feel and what you actually think about this. So my dearest colleague, Don, says that there are like, he says there are six prominent emotions. I kind of don't believe it, y'all. I mean, I think there's a lot more going on than that, but Don says, will you, will you roll forward, Jamie? Keep going. One more time. One more time, Jamie, and one more time. I need to start working on this better, y'all. So here's, um, here's what Don says. He says, this Don says, love, fear, anger, sadness, surprise, joy, and then everything kind of trickles, gets kind of wild from there. Um, so I, when I think about my day, when I think about my response to something, Disgust feels really different than blah, right? And fury feels really different than I'm agitated, you know? Like, so I don't know how many words we can give kids, but surely there's a way to help them have more for more words for what they're experiencing. So the problem is our brains, and I'm going to let Don explain the brain to you because that's not my... Thing. That is his thing. So you go for that, Don. So, so what I'll try to do real quick is just give a real simple model um, that is so applicable to parents, but also applicable to our children. And the more we can begin to um, give them that model in some sort of practice, it starts sinking in. So when I have guys come in the room, this is kind of what I go through if I'm dealing with a self-regulation type thing. Like he just doesn't know his emotions, he's striking out, he's really angry, or he could be incredibly sad. So, so we start at the basics, like, okay, let me tell you physically, like from physiology, what is going on inside your head? 
because sometimes we'll carry those emotions if you think about it and actually think I'm bad because I'm angry and, and I always say you know a rose is red we use that language that is like it's an I am statement and that's not really true it's just a characteristic of the rose it's still a rose regardless of the color it is it's just that we label it so so we take that at Daystar away to where we can start saying okay then then let me tell you why all emotions are basically neutral. It is the behavior that we then try to curb based on some of those behaviors. And so I will find myself, I, I have a grandchild that, that when he's acting up, I'm, I'm going through my head, you know, oops, don't say the wrong thing that makes him label himself, but tell him what is going on and how he might do something differently. And this is why, okay, because 75% of our brain is cortex like the the thinking computer part so I draw a little image okay and if you can't laugh at, at my drawings Your drawings are great, <laughs> so so I draw this little character <laughs> and I put a fake trap door in it and then So we've got any of us, any of us at least have these components. And 75% of it, like I said, is this amazing thing that if you ever even read a little bit of Albert Einstein, he, he's, a, he's a big believer in the imagination as being unlocking all sorts of possibilities. Like intelligence is something, but imagination is beyond intelligence because you can think of something new. So you've got this sitting in top of, on top of your head, but you've also got this about the size of an almond part sitting down here that's called the amygdala and we've all heard of it but seldom do we think to talk about it so so in the room in particular with my guys I just say look we're just gonna break this into a lower brain because this parts kind of in the lower midbrain and then we're gonna have an upper brain all of this stuff art, music on that side, the ability to know how you feel exists over there. This side, the rational, the logic, the planning part, the speech, mo most of the speech comes from that part, is all sitting up there. But we've got this small part of your brain that literally also talks to every part of the brain, including what's this little part there that will secrete things like adrenaline and stress hormones and chemicals that get you ready for something. Because this is all you have to know to have them combat the behavioral portion. If you can go, okay, you've got this lower brain and this upper brain, and anything that happens outside here, if it's a smell of smoke, we would all think there's a fire, or a first thought at least. If we had a visual effect of actually a bright light outside, some of us would be very, very nervous. So we begin to have emotions that, that strike the amygdala first. Now, MRI studies have proven that based on brain lighting up. Why might the amygdala light up first? Any thoughts? Yes, evolution will tell us it's the oldest part. Of course, I'm a creation guy. So, so I say it's there because that part, yeah, it, it stems right off the, the all the central nervous system is that it also keeps us safe. So it's going to receive a signal first such that, good friend of mine Mr. Cowan's on the front row, if he and I are out in the street tonight and a car is coming at 80 miles an hour down the street and we're in the middle of the road we are not going to have a dialogue about should we move out of the way, or do you think he's going to stop me? The lower part of our brain will tell us to either fight or flight. And if we can begin to get our kids to start to see a basic brain structure, that you know what, when you get angry, this thing is at work, because it works on anger and fear, uh, and worry can even set it off in response to your surroundings because it's constantly on alert 
to make sure you are safe. Now, I draw that trap door there because if you can capture that, the initial thought, and take it up here where you know how you feel, that is back to how many emotions we have. If you can then go, you know what? I really feel frustrated right now. I feel, I feel really angry right now. What you've done is taken a lower brain emotion. I'm, 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 I'm angry. But you've spoken it out. And neurologists call this making a whole brain loop. It comes in from the outside. It goes here, but you recognize it and you're able to say something about it or just calm yourself with this line is called coping. And you can do that on both sides of the brain, bilateral stimulus. Suddenly, you start to calm down. One great way, even without that, is to recognize I am getting in this pattern, therefore I will breathe, which strikes the parasympathetic nervous system and tells the amygdala to turn off. Calm down. He's got this. He's under control because he's controlling his breathing. So we want to know physiological truths, upper, lower, just two things. And we want them to know the basic emotions, at least the basics, because you saw that wheel. That wheel was very, I think there's at least 64 on there. And there are more. So what, what I say is, yeah, that there's been talk about six emotions for millennia. Like the, the, the Chinese have written about it around the time of Christ as being the five primary that I like because... They happen to be in the favorite, a favorite movie of mine called Inside Out uh, that Disney makes about emotions. And those are joy and sadness, fear, anger, and disgust. I say surprise is just a combination of joy with fear. And so we've, we've got these five basic emotions that if we can grab those emotions and begin to communicate with our kids that if when you feel that, if you're able to communicate that to mom, dad, whoever, you will start to grasp the emotion that wants you to have it up here, but you will keep it more or less suspended because you are in control of it with your smart brain. So, so we want to begin to give our children emotional words and dialogues so that they are able to do this for the overarching purpose of this, okay? This is called the cognitive triangle. If you take this model and just put it on a triangle guy or girl, you have thoughts, emotions, and a behavior. And all of us respond that way again to all stimulus now here's the problem there's no, remember there's no bad emotions but if I'm angry and I'm not able to cope taking it to thought in essence letting an anger drive my behavior decapitates me and that's what happens to children a lot and the amazing physiological truth that I want parents to know when we know that they have become so alerted by their lower brain by the amygdala when, when they've allowed that to happen or adults I mean it happens to all of us that fake trap door that I drew, drew in there will close, okay? You may have heard this. I'm so mad I can't think. That is literally the truth because the amygdala makes that hippocampus send out those stress hormones. Blood flow will decrease to your cortex because it's going to your muscles ready to fight or run. And so if we allow that trap door to shut, you need to give them up to 30 minutes to calm down because they really won't be able to be rational for that long. And, and boy, teens, 
I had a team the other day that the mom said, oh, I counted, it was 45 minutes. But he was doing no coping. He wasn't getting anything out of it. I'm telling guys to do push-ups, to go for a walk, to do something to get rid of that adrenaline. He just kind of melted down and just couldn't move. Uh, and it was over, believe it or not, it was over tutoring. So he's using this, but he's becoming frustrated. And guess who's like right over and going, why aren't you finished? Why aren't you finished? Why aren't you finished, mom and dad? And so he shut down on them because he, he looks at me in the room. He goes, I could not think. Now, he thinks it's because they were talking. It's really because in his brain, he lost it. It, it. That lower brain went full on. And his ability to think was decreased. So if we can catch that early, we can keep the door open and begin to have this dialogue about the way they feel, even if they need that 10 minutes or so to, if you see them a little bit dysregulated, give them that space, take a break, go do something you like, and then let's come back and discuss what just happened and how we might do something differently. So, so that is everything about the brain that I see, okay? And the five primary emotions, again, I'll, I'll tout the movie Inside Out because they make those very overt with little characters. And that's a place where you can have a conversation also with your kids. And they get into other, other images that are really, really strong. So, so it's a great way to kind of have that dialogue. So that's my brain talk. I love your brain talk. Thanks. Isn't he smart? No. I don't do the brain talk. Um, so we kind of want to give you guys more of a practical, like, okay, so how do I begin to start talking about um, emotions at home every day? Um, so let me start here at the top. Modeling. Um, how do you talk about how you feel at home? Like, do you say, oh, I feel regret. I wish I hadn't done that. I feel um, really sad because I'm disappointed that we're not going to get to go out tonight because the babysitter canceled. I feel really, like, how do you, how do you talk about how you feel? Um, because that's something I think the first place we start is how do you communicate as the adults in the room about your actual feelings and get to them? And I think the more we're talking about how we feel, the more it feels really normal for a child to be able to articulate how they feel. Um, Don, you like to make a game of it? Yeah, I do. I make this whole thing here behind a game also. Uh, I, li I like to get, if I can, parents and their kids on the same page. And so I I'll ask the, the, the child, if this doesn't anger you that mom or dad participates, let's play the upper lower brain game. And, and all in the world it is, is recognizing when somebody is in a fight or flight anywhere in the world. One of my favorite places to ask, in particular guys, is to watch NFL football just a little bit. Because this is amazing. And they always come in the room and say, yeah, I saw it. I say, well, how did, how did it look? They say, well, okay, I saw this guy get angry. They start pushing each other. And then usually one of them will hit the other one, and I always say, where? Well, in a helmet. Now, I'm going to say, is that a smart place if you're trying to really mad at a guy and trying to hurt him to hit a guy where he's got protection? <laughs> Why didn't he hit it right here? Because he's lower brain driven. If he's thinking, he's like, well, the most damage is to hit the guy. But they don't. Because, so I say that's a, that counts as a point. You saw it. You were able to explain it. I play games like uh, in the house. If, if you've got anything going on that, that alerted you the lower brain, like, okay, I was afraid. Oh, I was worried. I, I was so frustrated and, and injustice sets it off really uh, like that game was so unfair because they wouldn't play by my rules that is an iteration now this is the truth about the brain again if you can play that game and make don't get discouraged 87 iterations that's not a lot if you think about it if you're if it's happening two times a day it's a month and a half 
a new neural pathway is formed. Like literally the old road that they used to get so mad. Like every time Amy does this, it makes me so mad. <laughs> but if I've recognized that trigger, every time Amy does that, I've been able to step away and cope and recognize our pattern. All of a sudden, a month and a half, they will see that immediately go. And the game has created a, what I call a new road, like the old dirt road they're no longer driving on. One example of that. I had a guy who, uh, video games, because goal-oriented things make the amygdala want it to be successful. I mean, the brain. But when it's not, they, the amygdala says it's, it's a threat because you're failing. He lost his Xbox for one year. Big punishment, y'all. Huge. I, I talked I to the parents that. about that. I know. Yeah, I, I told the parents, I said, Are you, sh they're like, He can't handle it. I'm like, I'm just. So we worked and we worked. And in, and in 60 days, they said, Oh, we've given it back. He never acts out in anger. He says he, he is angry. That still made him angry. But he's like, He comes down and goes, God, can you believe that just happened? Wow. And mom will say, Well, How'd you handle the anger? Well, first I, and then goes through his coping routine. And he became a master of it in less than two months and got all privileges back. It was pretty amazing. So it does work. That, that research is true about 87 to 90 times. That's awesome. I, um, I think a fun game to play, and obviously be careful when you play this game. I love to take kids like if you're at Target and you, or you're out somewhere and you try to guess what other people are feeling so like let's look at how her like we don't say it out loud like we don't like <laughs> stroll past mom she's mad you know like but like when you see something happening to say I wonder how she feels I wonder what he's feeling right now how does his face look how do you know he's sad What's happening? And so um, wherever you can play that game safely without your child, like, totally <laughs> creating a problem, I love to let, let kids try to figure out, like, what are those feelings? What does it look like when you are excited? How can you tell somebody's excited? Um, another thing that I think is a really great thing to do is to say it back. So when your kid is saying to you, or they're showing you that they're frustrated, to say back to them, I think maybe you could be, are you angry? Are you jealous right now? Jealous is a big feeling we see a lot. Are you feeling left out? Does that make you feel insecure? Like to say it back to them, and then when they say it to you, it sounds like you're saying this, or what I'm hearing you say, because I think, especially when you get to those middle school years to tell them what they're feeling is not really a good move but to say um, am I getting this right like because you are the expert on you um, do, are you trying to tell me that this is what's going on that this is how you feel to then reflect back to them like this is what I'm seeing but maybe that's not what I'm you tell me what's going on with you. You know, it just sort of puts the ball in their court to talk about it um, in their own way. I, I'll give you another that, that once you have the, begin these dialogues about emotions and hopefully like say, I know, I know I've got a grown child, two grown children and a, two, two grandchildren and two adults. And I, I look back and know where I missed it kind of <clears throat> with my own children and now we're trying to make up with the grandchildren. So it's like, it's like, and if y'all know anything about the Enneagram, my wife's an eight, so it's like, it's got to be just right, and it, it, she's going to come at you really tough. And so a lot of that was going on, and, and what we've learned, again, from the brain, and, and my wife and I have talked about this a lot, we, we take a different approach, in particular age appropriate. So, so when they're young, your youngest, and, and even probably under fifth grade, I start immediately asking them in the room or my own grandchildren, Let's create a coping backpack. It's this invisible thing that you are going to put invisible ways to control your emotion. And, of course, I, I kind of do demand that they put breathing in there because it is so proven. 
And it's like everything else we're going to do is evidence-based also. We're going to give you some evidence-based tools like using your senses. Like right now, I know you're upset. What are five things you see, four things you hear? Just use those senses and express that. And all in the world we're doing is driving that feeling into thought. And and so as we're doing that too, as they get older, the imaginary backpack's not going to work. Because I'm going to level with you with, with older children. We know this also through MRI studies in neurology. The, the teens really starts 11, 12 now. We know that they, they start pushing back against our rules, that everything you say isn't right like it was when they were a kid and believed everything. And so what is that? That, that is literally a brain. We, we used to think, oh, it's all hormones. It's not. It is some, but it's mostly the brain is doing amazing things to make their brains quicker, and more autonomous. So now, how do we approach that? One, hopefully in your home, and Amy and I see this a lot, when, when parents don't increase appropriate boundaries, like, like we still treat them like they're seven, eight years old, we still have an eight o'clock bedtime, or we, you know, they are gonna start pushing back. And, and it's small things. So, so begin those age-appropriate boundaries, telling them that now they are gaining responsibility and note, responsibility is directly proportional to freedom. So as long as you can handle that responsibility, your freedom's going to increase. But, oh, first time you miss a curfew, that wasn't irresponsible. You lost some freedom. And you begin to work that, I'm going to call it a connection, with them that you want this independence. I want this independence because at 18, you're in the world. So we are building that together such that when there's an incident, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Connect and think of bridge thinking, okay? I always think, how am I going to, especially when I have a teen in the room and they don't want to talk, how do I connect with them? And, and I don't mean relationally. I mean brain to brain. I need to let them express something, and so I force the feeling. I see. And I, act, I really act. Like, I don't see it. Like, like, like the parents probably inform me this is going on. They, get, they just lose their temper. I say, man, you came in today. You, you don't want to be here, it looks like. Now, see, I'm making him think. He may say, yeah, I don't want to be here. Wow, I know it's hard. I'm not sure, but if I was you, I, I'd probably be frustrated. I, are, you, are you frustrated? If not, please tell me how you're. In other words, all I'm doing is building a bridge from the right brain to their right brain. I'm asking questions that evoke their emotional awareness because they are aware of it. They just don't want to talk about it. So imagine yourself with olders, 12 and up. How can I evoke, get that from them by asking questions like maybe even like I'm just not the smartest person in the room. You are. So please help mom and dad. I have no idea what just happened. Please explain it. The more you can get them to talk, that connection's made. So that's another game I pray. I, I call it the bridge game. Did you have another? Yeah, I, I like your bridge game. Um, externalization. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that for a second. Um, with girls, it's, the numbers have to have gone up since covid before COVID, it was one in four girls is wrestling with anxiety, but it, there's, it's just got to be higher now. It's got to be based on what is walking in the door. Um, at Daystar, I mean. And um, we will work really quickly to try to pull that thing apart from the child. To say, you're not the problem. Worry is the problem. Okay? So, ain't, you're not the... You being mad isn't the problem. Like, that's... It's what we do with that madness that becomes the problem. So I think one thing we want to do um, with kids is, you know, if, if you know the Enneagram, there are certain numbers who are more prone to be in their feelings more. And so it's like trying to pull the kiddos apart from some of those um, emotions. It's like it's, good, it's a good thing for them to be able to separate themselves. Like I can feel badly without being at my core bad. I can experience the feeling of shame, but how much is it sticking to me? How are we going to pull you apart from that? And so 
we, um, we create a worry monster often with our young clients where we will say, name your worry monster. And y'all, I have this terrific client who is just full of life and personality. And so she comes in one day and she is as anxious as any child I've ever worked with. And she says, I said, I think we need to like give this worry a name. Like, what would you name her? And she was like, Jessica. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Jessica it is. And she writes this letter to Jessica in which I'm like, why don't we let Jessica know that we appreciate her guidance, but it's not, no longer necessary. You can manage your life. We don't need Jessica's help. You know, so we, she writes this big letter to Jessica about like, actually, Jessica, I know how to control my worry. You can be quiet. But the, the goal of that exercise is for her to be able to realize the worry is driving me. The emotion is driving me. And I actually have to get my brain back in gear and speak back to it and say, actually, wait a minute. That is Jessica in my ear, not my truest smart self, you know. And so, um, however you can externalize, if you have a kiddo with with a an emotion that feels like it's kind of running them, externalizing it is a really good way, if age appropriately, you know. Um, but she really went for it, and Jessica lives in infamy in my mind. Um, that's the best worry monster name I've ever heard. I was just like, okay, Jessica, it is. I love it. Um, I, I have, like, a technique in particular with guys. Um, I don't know if I've ever even said, ask y'all if, if you do this, but, but guys are just naturally competitive, and, and, and some girls are, and so I perturb the emotion that they're struggling with. So, so in particular with your children, uh, worries, one of them, I, it reminded me, I, I've got a, a guy who just he had crippling anxiety, uh, and, and named it and was getting better and then setbacks. And, and so in the room, I literally would start talking about something that I know made him anxious. And, and so what you're doing there is you're exposing, okay, the emotion. You, you want them to feel it to a, only to a certain degree. You don't want them to shut down. So, so you, you, once you see, like, okay, I'm getting to them, and, and this is y'all are going to laugh, Night before last, I had a, a guy in the room who's highly competitive and everything's unfair if he doesn't win. So we play a highly competitive game called checkers. <laughs> and, and literally all I'm doing now is trying to make sure I win. So, so I am, I, I'm distracting him, getting him to think. I mean, he, he doesn't want to talk. He wants to only play. And I beat him. And he, he did. <laughs> and I did. I kind of, I kind of, I knew I, saw, I could look at him. So I knew if I poured a little bit on it. So I said, dude, how, how was that? Did you see the old man kick you around? And he looked at me. I could tell he just wanted to. I said, okay, I only did that for one reason. I want to know exactly how you feel and exactly how you're going to talk to me about it because you are close to losing it, right? And he goes, oh, man, I am. And I, and I said, and it's a game of checkers between two friends. And so if you can perturb the emotion, like, like get it, what, what, what that's called is just exposing, whether it's anxiety, anger, whatever, mm -hmm. is don't take them to the edge, but allow them to feel it in the mm -hmm. backyard playing something or in the room or anywhere. Or I love anxiety, letting it walk into the room and whatever they're anxious about, expose it and go, how are you going to get rid of it? You just feel it. Tell me how you feel it. And then you can have them drive it out. And it's really empowering for them because they recognize the emotion. And then suddenly they realize, oh, I'm in control of it. Not It's, it's not in control of me. Mm -hmm. So, so let them grab it. And then one great thing, then reward that behavior. And what I mean by that is I, we're, we're all certain to a certain level driven by a reward center. And so if you can, like after that, I'm like, dude, you, you need something. And we always have Amy cooks all the time. We always have treats at Daystar that she's cooking or somebody. So I'm like, let's go downstairs. We're going to get something. Now, he has no idea why I did that. But the brain did. Hmm. The brain recognizes that response, which is why guys play so much video games. They get a reward by 
pushing a button and hearing a sound. Yeah. Psychologists know this. So, so we can take that as parents and let's use it. Like every time I can really be so grateful to them and thankful and, and support them and what you just drove that Jessica out of the room. That's amazing. What's your favorite dessert? Or what? Reinforce that and the brain will know it. They won't know it. The brain will go, ooh, I need to keep doing that. Not only does mom and dad like that, suddenly I got something. And, and, it, and it, the response will make the brain tougher. That's good, John. Um, you say no. I just thought of a really great example from my office, and I just lost it. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Maybe it'll come back. Okay. Um, practice. The next thing we want you to do is... John and I like this a lot. Whatever the show is, whatever the movie is, whatever the book is, if you're reading to your little one at night and you get to a part in the chapter book or a part in the book where you see something happening, stop reading mm. and say, what do you think? What do you think is, how does she feel? Oh, you know, yes. and we, we talk about this with everything from Star Wars to whatever. It, it doesn't have to be. I mean, all the emotions. The football example is um, sp any sporting event is a great thing to use with with boys who are competitive, especially. But Amy's right about the movies. They watch mm -hmm. so much movies and things now, and, and if you can keep them off of YouTube. Uh, but if you can, I mean, I use a lot of Star Wars imagery. In particular, there's a scene that gets really intense, and, and they can usually see this in the yes. battle. And then they can see what I like to do is what we're trying to grow ultimately also is empathy. And think about that triangle behind me. If we can com connect mm -hmm. that emotion of theirs to somebody else's connected. What Amy just said, how do you think they felt? You are actually growing empathy, like, like making it occur. And they need practice in that, in particular as they get into the early teens. Uh, they, they, research says they can easily fall behind, but I love that. Just mm -hmm. to, hey, here it is. How do you think they felt? How did that make you feel? You are trying to connect their emotions for growth and empathy. I love that. So I want you to share, Don, your things you hear every week ah, in your office. Okay. I wrote down a few. Um, from parents, I hear this, and, and this is, I've used it. My wife has used it. And, and I remember my wife when we first got married saying, my mom always says this and I'm never going to say it. And of course we say it. Giving them the reason I'm the parent uh, is um, never sufficient for their brains. In other words, they, they're going to take that, but they are, they are not going to at all grow uh, in their emotion. They're, they're probably going, you're probably going to shut them down for a little bit. And, and so it's okay to say, and in particular, I'm a huge believer in structural therapy where mom and dad are up here. The rules need to be clearly defined without holes that they can see. And mom and dad agree You don't in front of them. You can go in the back room and say, hey, maybe we're a little too tough. Well, you can have that dialogue, but they should see a united front, united rules. And as they are down here, they are safest down there. So, so for, but not when they hear a demanding, well, because I said so, because I'm mom. Because, And usually what I found on myself, that is usually a, I don't have time to really sit down and explain this to you. But they want that. And so if you say, well, you know, that, that upset me and I, I felt a little, and go ahead, like Amy said, and start modeling this. Even if you have to apologize, like, I'm really sorry that, that this is going to happen, but this is our rules. And... Like, go ahead and make that case to where they can intellectually absorb both feeling and thought with that. And then change that changes the behavior, if you think about that triangle. Before you go from that, Don, can I add something? Yeah. It's kind of in this camp. Um, just in the last week, I've had two conversations, one with the middle school parents and one with the freshmen in high school, in which these girls made some bad choices and they have consequences and I'm a fan of consequences but I am not a fan of consequences in which we don't know when they end mm -hmm. so if you are you know when you discipline your child when you have like okay this is the 
like losing your Xbox for a year. What is that even? How do you? I can't. I can't. Right. But like, if you are going to have a consequence, like you're you, you're losing your phone, to say when they say for how long, and you say I don't know, we'll see. That's really unfair. That gives them nothing to um, prove to you that they can like earn it back. Mm. They've lost their connection, which sadly that is their primary source of connection. So I want to encourage y'all as you are, because you're the parent, you get to set this, the guideline for the time frame, And it's really fair to say, I'm really angry. My gut wants to say two weeks. Mm. I'm willing to revisit this, but not in this moment. It won't be longer than two weeks unless something goes really south here, you know. But like to give them a time frame is a really fair thing. So that's what I, I, I love that. About no, I love that because also, y'all, I'll, I'll say the flip side of that. The hardest cases that I have is something called oppositional defiance, mm -hmm. and that's when a, a young guy has everything you say is wrong and everything you say he's against. I mean everything. It gets it's it's really really sad. But it usually comes from a series of what I call nuclear bombs. Like you have taken this away and this away, and, and then there's nothing else to take away, and there's no end in sight. And so what do they do? They, they give up and totally rebel. And that's just one of the patterns of ODD. But what we find is, and this helps parenting, if you can find their currency, it could be a phone, it could be whatever, and then you take it away in increments. Like, like oh, gosh, you did do this, and so that's not all day. That's... That's six hours. Okay. You know what I mean? Keep the currency. So in six hours, you've given them the currency back, and they can lose it again. So, so don't, I guess, yeah. guard against just this nuclear, okay, that's it for a week. Take it away small increments at a time because that allows you to keep the control without them. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that's one. Uh, the other one I hear sometimes from parents, he says he hates me, okay, and I hope that's next. Yeah. yeah, he says he hates me. Um, and I don't doubt that in the moment. And you may have already experienced some of that, that harsh language of the emotion, usually in anger, that is not expressed. Okay, so the first thing I always do when I've heard that is I get mom, usually is the one, bringing them in. I say, Mom, you sit there, and I just want him to sit here. And, I, and then I'll just ask, did, did, did you say you hated her? And he goes, well, yeah. Is that the truth? That's my next statement. Or is that how you felt? Now notice. Truth. Feeling. I haven't had a guy yet say, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> They'll all say, well, yeah, I just felt that way. Because now I'm seeing them like the next day or something. And do you feel that way? Well, no, I don't feel that way. So, I, so I'm like, well, that is a perfect place where I tell them one huge part of knowing your your emotions is to be able to see this as a parent but then teaching them this too oh gosh you just had an emotion and now you're trying to have a thought to cover it one great thing to teach them okay when we talk about coping breathing but man truth becomes a regulating effect I'm of a case like this. Um, a lot of my guys, afraid of the dark, afraid to sleep alone, afraid to, you know, they've got these emotions of fear, just, oh, oh I think somebody's outside. I, I, so I always start with this. How many times has somebody broken into your house? Thus far, years and years, zero. <laughs> Not that it doesn't happen. So I say, you know, that's there. Let me ask you this. What, why, why are you afraid in your, uh, to get in the bed? Uh, well, I, you know, the closet's scary. Or, I want you to go look in the closet. And then I give them this. I said, you know, I can remember vividly, and I know you have this thought, somebody's under the bed or a monster's under the bed. Yes, we do. How do we get rid of that? We look. And you only have to look about three times, and that fourth time you're laying there, and you think, oh, no, nothing's under the bed. I've looked. So truth becomes a regulating coping device that you can build on their self-esteem. In other words, things they love about themselves, is, that's truth. Who they are is truth. 
most of my guys will say I'm either athletic or uh, the other, I love art or music. That's a huge truth. So the next time you want to cope, if you're athletic, go outside, run around, do push-ups. If you're into art, music, please play something. Please draw something. Mm -hmm. You're exercising your core truths while you express the emotion with thought. So truth becomes a huge thing that you can really build them up, even with their self-esteem. Uh, that's one. Amy, did you want to jump in? I'm sorry. No, you, you're doing I talked right. a lot. Let me, let me try that. It's okay. okay. What, th this, I think it's why can't you is next. Maybe, maybe not. He shuts down. Why can't he? he why can't he, I hear, thank you, um, is, a, is a, if we think about it, when you say why can't you do something, you are basically saying you can't do that. Yeah, you are you are putting blame on them, which I, we see a lot of shame we see front that comes from blame, and it's not that you're not expressing that, but that criticism that you isn't necessarily usually at them. It's more like, wow, the trash wasn't taken out today, was it? Not, why didn't you take the trash out? There's a huge difference between the trash didn't get taken out. Can somebody take the trash out? Or there's going to be a consequence for that. You, they, we just, we didn't do it, did we? Rather than this finger pointing that, that evokes this negative, remember, no emotion is negative, but it will be a negative response on their self-esteem that can become contemptuous. And I'm, I'm just going to say, well, why can't he on that? If you find yourself going from criticism of why don't you do this to contempt, you never take the trash out. You're so lazy. Then if you're in my office as an old man, I'm coming across the room and talking to you. I had a mom do that recently. Why doesn't he do this when my friends are around? He just doesn't care. Poor guy had social anxiety. He couldn't, he couldn't speak when somebody else came over, but she had heap that on him so the shame he had and so so be guarded against the criticisms and then that contemptuous stance with just an open hey this is the issue like amy said externalizing it who's going to take the trash out and just let that go one more i was going to give um he shuts down or he can't talk he won't talk and that's typical in my room it's so great, y'all. Every once in a while, they'll, they'll have a family, the girl side. Girls see girls at Daystar and guys see guys. But they'll send me a family with a girl in it. Man, easiest hour ever because they talk, 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 talk. <laughs> I, I can't begin to tell you how many guys I get this right here. <laughs> so he does shut down. And all I'm saying, and he won't talk. And sometimes that is stonewalling, okay? And sometimes that's being used. Um, true story, I've got a guy. And I'm taking a deep breath so I don't cry because the, the case breaks my heart. And not spoken to his parents in six months by choice. And so we want to unravel that. If you back that up as to, to where that, we're just starting to get to where that, where that started. It, it was an, uh, an ongoing thing that everyone isolated at night, okay? And, and this guy would want, to be involved or, or not be involved, but, but they would, you know, kept pushing away, pushing away. And then when they were having talks, it was all about what you're not doing. So, so it was all the negative chore type stuff. So, so it was a compounding effect that, that there was no relationship. It was a unidirectional. Well, naturally, he shuts down, okay? So when you have somebody shut down, not in that extreme case, even if it's just like in the room, there are, you know, techniques to, to break the stone wall, and those, those, st those stones become being taken out as you sometimes have to take that step down. I mean, eye to eye, start at the basics, like, I know you don't want to talk. Like, like, just be as honest as you can, be as vulnerable as you can, but, but he won't talk usually means there's something really inside that he's not able to communicate, so you may have to pry that out by saying, do you mind if I just guess? And start guessing his own emotions. 
use, uh, sometimes I'll do that inside out drill um, like this. Okay, joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness. And I will just say, out of 10, just give me like, how much joy have you had in the last day? Maybe it's a seven. I'll fill it in. How much anger? Oh, 10 out of 10. And all of a sudden, no disgust. All of a sudden, I've got this pie chart filled with his emotions where he hadn't spoken. Then I really try to elicit it because I'm like, man, I don't know what brought you all that joy. Name one thing. Like then I'm, I'm pulling that out. One reason you, you were so happy because I have no idea. And usually they'll tell you, oh, I was so happy. Start with that one. Then just work your way around and then congratulate that. Like, look what good work you just did. You just told me how you felt and what caused those emotions. And so there's, there's like little games that you can play like that with inside out. I think that's all I was going to share because those were the big ones. Okay. I, I think we'll have to roll through a few slides. Okay. These are things that we, Don shared what we hear. I would say these are things we say a lot. Um, the first one would be, we are not on the Titanic and the ship will not sink today. So a lot of times I think when kids walk in, when parents bring their kids into Daystar, it feels they're coming in hot. Like something has happened. Nobody comes to therapy when they feel great. It's usually after some sort of injury emotional injury, fracture of relationship, something's going down. And so um, I think as the parent, regulating your emotions is the hardest work, but it is the best work you can do for your child so that you aren't in get the lifeboat mode, but rather you are like, okay, turn on the music while this sinks, you know, like we're gonna just be really calm while this is going down. Because they're gonna, they're going to mirror back to you exactly what you're showing them, and so if you are moving through a tough space with your kid, and you, it's all out there, and it's gonna be out there sometimes, y'all. But as much as you can, um, there's a book called Screen Free Parenting. It's a great book, not the best title. In that, it's not about screaming. It's yeah. about pausing. Yeah. It's about learning to pause. And to just give yourself a minute before you engage with things, before you respond to things. So um, pause is one of our, something we say every day. Like, as a parent, can you pause before you respond, before you react, before you end up feeling regret? You know, because typically that's how it goes. We react and then we're like, I could have done that so much better. Uh, yeah, that? I was going to tag on to that because, you know, if you look at just the ways that people communicate, there's blaming, uh, there's placating, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's the rational one who only give you the facts that I tend to be. Uh, and then there's distractor. You use humor and all this stuff. All those are incongruent. So, so as a parent, what Amy said, if I could give one type of communication, like, remember, I must be the level one. Mm -hmm. I must be the one that is speaking at a level, calm tone, even though inside I am, but outside I'm having to cope, I'm breathing, I'm doing whatever I can to give that child an image of a, wow, this person is so solid and calm. I, I can, this is okay, I'll get through this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, be that level person. Um, the only other one I had, and I'm gonna take that if you don't mind. That, yeah, okay. um, go for it. I'm gonna give you the best advice I ever got as a parent. I just had my first child baby girl can't begin to tell you I was like I will do everything for you and so I go to the pediatrician and he's this gray-headed guy that uh, actually health centers named for so he's this brilliant guy and he goes what do you want to be to this child and I said well I want to be her friend he puts his finger up I'll never forget it, it gives me chills you will be her parent. And I just thought, wow. And he goes, when she's 25, you can be her friend. 
and a lot of truth there because of developmental of the brain. Even when they're 18, in particular guys, we're a little slow. The brain hadn't fully formed, not totally come together in, in the hemispheres. And so we're still making a lot of impulses <laughs> and things we shouldn't do. But then you will find that relationship later. Right now, you need to be that sound level mm-hmm. parent. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, another thing we say all the time is, you're not the problem, the problem is the problem. Because as young, I have a fourth grade client right now who has taken on a, an identity within her family. She can't pull herself apart now from this pattern she gets into. Like she is going to be the defiant child. Like I think now, even when she doesn't want to, she kind of has to because this is what she does. And so I think the label, the thing, the narrative has started. And it's really interesting to watch girls try to pull themselves apart from the pattern. And so if we can pull it apart for them and say, this is not you, this is the problem. And here's our problem. This behavior is the problem. This reaction is the problem. Being in relationship with you is not the problem. Your place in this family is not the problem. What is going on? Our pattern is the problem. And and most of the time the pattern is the problem. The next thing I say all the time I really respect a therapist out in Texas. She coined this phrase called, um, she, she said, as you are working with your teenagers and adolescents who are, ask, who are, are doing things you do not agree with and are exploring identities, exploring behaviors, exploring all manner of things as they developmentally it is appropriate for them to explore and try on a zillion hats but she was like we get scared and she said your job is to be a compassionate detective and I was like this is amazing these are the best words for it because you're not trying to solve a case and send somebody to jail here as you parent your child curiosity is your best tool so if you can say when your child whether your child is five or 15, comes into the kitchen and says something that you're like, no, you're not. Like, we're not doing that, or you're not doing that, or no, you're not doing No, that's not true. Huh. Tell me more. Like, I bet I say tell me more a hundred times a day. because, And they will. Because you're not asking the direct, the indicting question. You're saying... I don't know anything about what you're telling me. (laughs) Educate me. You know, like, so I I love the position of I have something to learn from you. That you can actually tell me what your experience is or what you believe it to be, what you are feeling in it. So, hmm, is the best thing you can say sometimes as a parent to just be like, I never knew you felt that way when did that start how do you know what not in an accusatory way but in a you can enlighten me on what your experience is like and I think there's so much power because um the next thing I would say is and this this happens I have this conversation multiple times a week in which the adolescent population I find myself sitting across from um, has tried to tell their parent something that their parent is terrified by. And then something happens and the fracture is there and the child realizes, I cannot tell my mom and dad this kind of stuff, they can't handle it. And so they don't. And you think the conversation's over because the conversation isn't happening. The conversation is not over. It has just moved to like discord or some other place where somebody can handle like the questions they have or the stuff they're exploring or whatever. And so I say to moms all day, if she can't tell you, she's gonna talk to somebody. 
And that's scary to me. I want you to be the safe space. So that going back to that place of curiosity with your kids keeps them coming to you. Because, man, they love to talk about themselves. They love to tell you, like, what they think and how they got there and how often how they're bright and often right about so much. And so, and sometimes they're dead wrong, but you don't have to tell them. <laughs> you can just know that and watch it play out, you know. And so my, um, the thing that burdens me most is I have a client who's in sixth grade who shared some things with her parents that really rattled them. And I, my instinct was this feels like a phase based on the way it's presenting and just the trend I see. I mean, last year I spent 1,800 hours with adolescent girls. So I see a lot of patterns and um, it wasn't going well. They put us like the smackdown on we're not this behavior doesn't work in our house we're not doing this da, da, da. okay so they they think the conversation is over they're not having the conversation it's really what I think happened and so after a few months of therapy in which I was not able to um, make this child think differently about her experience she came in one day and sat down and we were kind of talking about, okay, you live in this house. You've got to find a way to connect with your parents. We've got to figure this out. Let's work together. And she finally just got the biggest tears in her eyes, and she said, Amy, I don't know who I am, but I know my parents don't like me. And I was like, oh, that is not true. That is not true. But the lack of curiosity planted that seed. And so that's a more intense example, but I just want to encourage you toward being curious, like, and starting that with them young so that they feel really comfortable telling you things that other kids don't tell their parents. Anything to add about that, Brian? No, except, you know, when she says that, I just, I feel that emotion, and, uh -huh. and we see that every day uh, at Daystar, and so it's like when you can have that conversation and, and evoke like I know this isn't you you think I don't like you that's not it it's it's going back to Amy just said the truth is I love you and and, and you're part of this family and, and from an attachment standpoint you I'm never gonna let you go but I know right now you feel like I don't like you right I mean get that emotion back out of that story mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that she has a place to go oh there are two different things here I feel this way, but that is not the truth. Yeah, that's good. Um, I want to close with this encouragement before, if you guys have any Q&A, we're open to that. Sure. Um, in supervision once, a supervisor said to me, 30% of the time, parents are going to feel like Mary Poppins, like we killed it. We did it. We got it. We did it. We're doing good. And then 30% of the time, it's pretty like, yeah, everybody's alive. We're here. We showed it. We, everybody got to school. We, we're doing good. Nobody's injured physically, emotionally, spiritually before we got out the door. And then 30% of the time, you are going to think, they're going to therapy because of this. Like, this is bad. Like, we have ruined them. They're not going to recover from how I blew up on them. And if you are nailing it 30% of the time, that is good parenting, okay? Like, that is real, appropriate, good parenting, y'all. And my supervisor said that to me, and it stuck to me because I was like, you feel that as a therapist sometimes, too. So I just want to encourage you that. 30% is really good. Like that is passing, okay? Absolutely. So, yeah.